Hi, it's Tony Kornheiser. The podcast is coming up in just a moment, but the sales weasels have got some sponsorships up front. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Chuck had a very good week, 5-1-1. One, and one. I guess the one was the Jets and Giants, is my guess. 34-20-2 overall. More, the best record. This is the, what? Yeah, but the Jets and Giants, we also gave you the under. You and I basically said, the hey. Under. Yeah. Yeah. That was a freebie. That was uh, 24 punts. Are you <laughs> kidding me? The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So there's a lot of things to talk about at the beginning of the show, but the first thing is that my life has just taken a very bad turn because Victor Wembanyama, I believe, had 38 points last night, <laughs> which means Wilbon, who is insufferable about Victor Wembanyama when he scored 10 points, is now, it, it, I'm not going to be able to escape this for eight months. Every single day, on PTI, Wilbon is going to talk about Victor Wembanyama. I was hoping this wouldn't happen. Great Halloween costume. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> I was hoping this wouldn't happen. At least you have the song stuck in your head now. Yeah, I mean. For the next six months. He's, he's probably, it's, you know, I hate to say this. He might be as good as Wilbon says he's going to be. He might be that good. <laughs> Other people seem to say that, too. They seem to look at him. <clears throat> they seem to know intuitively that this guy is going to be a revolution. So that's, a you know. That's bad, but we're going to have to live with it. It's bad. Um, Nigel on vacation again, a third day. We expect to well, have him back next week. Unless I'm actually, he's... I'm actually back. If oh, that, you're if, back? Yes, I, I've returned. I wasn't really on vacation. I was on special assignment. Uh-huh. Um, as you may or may not know, the king has a bit of a speech impediment, so I had to go over there and give him some help for some speeches he's got coming up. King Charles has a speech impediment? Well, not anymore. Not after my work. I didn't realize that. Now, there was another king that had a speech impediment <laughs> the that was the subject of a very, very good movie. But I didn't yes, know that right. Prince Charles turning King Charles had a speech impediment. Well, he may or may not, but it was a lovely, it was a lovely trip over to, uh, to Buckingham good. Palace. Yes. That's good to know. Uh, the Thursday night football game, not tremendously exciting in the sense of doesn't draw you in. Last night, Steelers and Titans in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh won the game 20-16, to 16, not a lot of scoring. Will Levis, who had four touchdowns and no interceptions in his debut last week for Tennessee, found the going a little rougher this time as T.J. Watt and his pals made it harder. He completed 22 of 39 passes, which is okay, 262 yards, which is okay, but no touchdowns and one interceptions. That's hello, welcome to the NFL when somebody has a week to scout you. When Mike Tomlin has a week to scout you, this is what happens. The World Series is done. Everybody knows what happened. My feeling about the World Series, there's two things that I think are, are, are pretty cool. Bruce Bochy walked in to the Texas Rangers this year. He'd never managed them before. He'd been out of baseball for a couple of years after managing the San Francisco Giants to three different World Series. 
He walks into the Texas Rangers, a team that had lost over 100 games two years ago. He gets them to the World Series, and he won it. He now has four World Series rings. He went once with San Diego. So he's got four out of five, four World Series rings. And in the last, he's also got two different franchises he won the World Series with. In the last 75 years, he joins only two other managers, Tony La Russa and Sparky Anderson, as winning World Series with different franchises. That is an extraordinary exclusive club. And and I had no sense of it. I had no sense that Bochy was this good. But he's obviously this good, as is Corey Seager. What Texas went out and did is they spent a lot of money on free agents. Not everybody does this. Arizona didn't do this. Arizona got to the World Series with a relatively low payroll. I think it's around 20 or something like that. It may be lower than that. Texas gave Chris Young a lot of money and said, build us a team. And he went out and he got three big free agents. One hasn't worked out at all yet, Jacob deGrom, because he's getting another Tommy John. So you don't know. You don't know down the road what's going to happen with Jacob deGrom. But Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager have worked out. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon in games four and five had clutch hits, as did Corey Seager. It was total poetry that Corey Seager got the hit that broke up the no-hitter and scored the first run, the only run actually that uh, Texas needed. Corey Seager now, here's his list of people who have been the MVP in the World Series more than once. Now, they didn't give out MVPs in the World Series till probably the 1950s or 60s. They didn't do it. But still, that's... 70 years that you can deal with. Here are the people who have won more than one MVP in the World Series. Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, Reggie Jackson, and Corey Seager. That's pretty good. That's Michael, good I thought... He's moving, I, up, he's moving up the all-time homer list in the postseason. Yeah, he's got the most quickly. home runs by a shortstop ever in, in postseason work. Michael, I, I know that the games, especially after game one, the disparity in score was large in three of the next four games. But I thought it was a pretty interesting series to watch. I enjoyed watching what I watched. Yeah, we talked about this a week ago. I think this was a World Series for baseball fans, and it was actually... Yeah, a, no ratings. It was a balance to fix what happened in the earlier rounds. So you had, you had really compelling Game 7s in the championship series. You had divisional rounds that were meaningless, and frankly, you had wild cards that sort of went very quickly. Very but, quickly. But this was a... It felt more competitive than what the scores said. For us locally, we had some small connections. I mean, seeing Mike Maddox come yeah. out with... Yeah, the, pitching coach. The calmest, you know, hand on the shoulder that you'll ever see. They brought him out of retirement. He comes in quickly, wins the World Series here. And to see the uh, the the uh, the kid from Virginia who closed out, got the final seven outs, I think, uh, who also won a college series at Virginia, Josh Sports. Oh, is that uh, right? Yeah, he's a McLean kid. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I didn't uh, so that. it felt, it definitely felt more compelling than what the score said. No, no one That's watched how it, I but. felt. I mean, I understand nobody watched, and I understand why nobody watched. Nobody knows these teams. Nobody knows anybody on these teams. These teams lost, lost over 100 games two years ago. They have not been a factor. They've not been a factor in baseball, Arizona or Texas. No factor. So nobody is brought to the television set. But I thought it was actually... And you know good. what? After a, after a year of change, to see the way the Diamondbacks played, which is, you know, you get on base and you can score from anywhere. Small ball. They're running around. Yeah, that, that yep. was, uh, it was fun to see that succeed in the playoffs. Yeah. And I will talk now um, somewhat briefly about Bobby Knight, who passed away yesterday uh, or the day before. Yeah, day before. At 83 years old. And I am asked on the PTI show, was asked on the PTI show, my thoughts on Bobby Knight. My first one is he was a great coach. 
This is an undeniable thing. My honest first thought is not about his behavior. My first thought is about his coaching. He won three national championships. He won a gold medal in the Olympics. And in 1976, he had the last unbeaten team. Not, you know, and if you, if you measure, and I think it's fair to measure a large college program by how their players do in the pros, I think that's fair. And you'll recall how many great pros John Wooden had at UCLA and how many great pros Mike Krzyzewski had at Duke. You know, you have to consider that. Bobby Knight had one player, one, Isaiah Thomas, who ever made an all-star team in the NBA, one. So he made something out of nothing better than anybody has ever done it. He recruited players for the kind of team that he wanted. The co- he was a college basketball coach. I want a pro coach. He didn't have that thing that John Calipari goes into your home and says, I'll get you to the pros. This is what I do. And John Calipari has turned out an extraordinary number of great professional basketball players. But Bobby Knight's turned out one. Isaiah Thomas, one all-star. So my first thought about him is the great coaching. And very closely following that, immediately following that, is Bobby Knight's ego and his sense of entitlement. And you'll see clips all over the place of Bobby Knight saying, we're going to do it my way. We're going to do it. Bobby Knight said, we're going to do it my way, more than Frank Sinatra said. <laughs> it was always my way. There's an hour-long highlight reel that anybody could make about his terrible behavior. You have him throw in the chair. You don't have him stuffing the guy in the garbage can because there was no footage of that. It was too many years ago. You have him throw in the chair. You have him choking the kid. You have him screaming at press conferences. You have him make fun of people whenever he can. You see him on the sidelines, and it literally, he's so angry and so screaming, it feels like his head is going to explode right on the air, insulting everybody in the world. So you have to factor that in. You have to factor in his behavior, his ego, and his entitlement, along with the brilliance of his coaching. And along with the fact that he never cheated. He never cheated. Nobody ever said Bob Knight cheated. And Bob Knight knew everybody who did cheat. And an overwhelming majority of coaches cheated. And he never cheated. So what I said on the show and what I'll say now is I will not make him a villain. But I cannot make him simply a hero. It's, it's just more complicated than that. More complicated than that. And he was a giant figure. I'll briefly describe one specific incident that I had with Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight hated sports writers. He had a very good line. He would say, we all learn to write in second grade, and then we move on to better things, more important things. One could argue that coaching college basketball is not more important, but in any case, it's a very good line. There was a small group of writers that he liked, very small, and it included Dave Kindred when he was in Washington. It included Billy Reed of the Louisville Courier-Journal. It included David Israel when he was in Chicago. It included Mike Lupica when he was in New York. And because some of those guys were my friends, Knight sort of tolerated me. And he did, even though he knew that I wrote a, when I wrote about him, I tried to make fun of him as often as I could. But he tolerated me. And one time, we were together at a NCAA regional that I believe was in Washington or Philadelphia. I'm not sure where it was. It was probably in the 90s. It had to be in the 90s. I'm sure it was in the 90s. And we were talking, just him and me. We were talking on the side of a court, you know, where other teams were practicing. 
And I smiled at him at one point. I said, you know, (laughs) I would never play for you. And he looked at me and he grabbed my stomach in a particularly flabby area right above my belt. And he squeezed so hard that I thought I was going to go down on the ground. And before that happened, he looked at me with his half evil smile and he said, I'd never recruit you. And that was it. And that was the Bobby Knight story is the only one I've got. You know, I just I would have told it yesterday, but Wilbon went on and on. So I didn't get to tell it. So we'll end this here. Uh, Pat Forty. Yes. Pat Forty. When we return. Yes. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band I know nothing about. It's called Brother Twang. Brother Twang. I guess maybe they have twangy guitars like Dwayne Eddy used to have 80 (laughs) years ago when I was young. Brother Twang. This is called The World Went Crazy Yesterday. It is sort of twangy, isn't it? Um, The World Went Crazy Yesterday. It plays in Pat Forty. And, and we're going to talk to Pat about a bunch of college things. And don't worry, we're going to get to Harbaugh. Of course we're going to get to Harbaugh, uh, which is a story that no longer is bubbling around. It's like really bubbling around now. But let's start with the first rankings, the first college football playoff rankings. What were your overall thoughts as you looked at the top seven, eight, ten, whatever? What were your thoughts? Uh, the main thing that stuck out to me, Tony, was that they – basically just voted on how many losses you have the top five were all under the the remaining power five undefeated teams right the next eight were the remaining power five one loss teams and then you get to the two loss teams and while i most of it made sense i would like to think they have a little bit more mental flexibility there to consider maybe a two-loss team had played a harder schedule than a one-loss team, and maybe one of those should be up a little higher. Uh, but I think they wanted to get to their steak and their jalapeno cream corn down there at the Gaylord Convention Center and didn't put a whole lot of thought in it. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't realized that. I hadn't realized that it went basically in numerical order. The one thing that stuck out to me was that Alabama was eighth. So Alabama, as a one-loss team, was behind Oregon and Texas. Do I have that right, as one-loss teams? I think I'm right on that. Mm -hmm. And so that indicated to me that the committee was sort of higher on the Pac-12 than I ever remember it being, and that it it might not necessarily put two SEC teams in the last playoff round we're going to have of just four, even though the SEC 
the statistics are amazing. They've won four championships in a row, five out of six, six out of eight, and 13 out of 17. It's unbelievable how dominant they've been, and yet here was the committee putting Alabama eighth behind two one-loss teams, and, and that stood out to me. But it's fine if you say to me, no, that's just procedural. You're an idiot. You're wrong. No, I mean, I think that was uh, definitely instructive. And uh, it does look that, I mean, the Pac-12, I think, earned the respect uh, because they had a great non-conference run. You know, they yeah. they won yeah. games then when other leagues did not. And, you know, it, it's very hard to separate Washington and Oregon. If you, If Washington's the last undefeated team, Oregon probably should be the first one yes. loss team. You could make a yes. case for Texas, but but I mean that game was incredibly close. It was in Seattle, uh, and Oregon's played great, other than that three point loss in which their coach partially lost his mind. I was I was surprised. You know, I mean, I don't. You know a lot more about college football than I do. You do a podcast about it, but I was surprised how clear cut it was among the talking heads before the stuff was result uh, the, before the result was shown. The talking heads on on ESPN, they all said, "Oh, it's got to be Ohio State. Oh, it's got to be Ohio State." Whereas I'm sitting there saying, "Really, it's got to be Ohio State? Georgia hasn't lost in ten years. It's got to be Ohio State." But I guess they were right. You would agree with that, right? Uh, I did agree with that. Yeah, and that's I, I'd had Ohio State. I did my own, you know, top whatever on uh, Sunday, and I had Ohio State number one. Just just resume. Um, you know, we will see if somebody can beat Georgia, but for now, based on who has played whom, uh, Ohio State definitely has the two best wins, you know, to beat uh, Notre Dame on the road and to to beat uh, Penn State. And Georgia just hadn't played it, man. Georgia's schedule basically starts this week. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, I I was a very impressive win against Florida, but Florida's not very good. So... You know, at one point they were weren't they up thirty seven six in that game? That was a big win. Yeah, I, I mean, they, yeah, they destroyed the two games that anybody kind of doubted Georgia. They showed up and destroyed people. When Kentucky was ranked and undefeated, right. and people thought Georgia wasn't that good, Georgia killed them. And then same with Florida too. You know, everybody's yeah. like, "Well, Brock Bowers is hurt. It's a rivalry game. We'll see." And I mean, I, I do think. Georgia has been slightly bored uh, with their level of competition, and when you throw a challenge in front of them, that's when you see real Georgia. Okay. All right. Uh, let me get to Harbaugh. Will the Big Ten punish Michigan in season, this season? Well, it's funny. In early August, you had me on, and you said, all we talk about is realignment and Harbaugh. We've at least put realignment behind <laughs> us, but Harbaugh never goes away. He's no, forever. No. Uh, <laughs> I I really don't think so, but they are facing a, an increasing groundswell of anger and push from within the league. Because the problem for the Big Ten is, while Michigan could make you a lot of money in the college football playoff, there are 13 other teams in the league that are furious at Michigan because Michigan spied on them and right. tried to cheat to beat them. Uh, allegedly, let's throw the allegedly in there for now, but I think it's pretty darn clear what Connor Stallions was up to. Now, who he was reporting to and who knew what's a different issue, but still, he was a Michigan staffer who was completely out of his mind. Uh, so there was a conference call Wednesday night among coaches and Commissioner Tony Petiti, 
And the coaches, from what I heard, went off on uh, the commissioner. And then there was another conference call Thursday afternoon, evening, uh, with the athletic directors. And the athletic directors were more measured and a little more strategic about it. You know, thank you, commissioner, for listening to us. We appreciate you being in this position to, you know, take take in our concerns. Now here's our concerns for an hour and a half. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure on Tony Petit. He's been the uh, the commissioner for six months. He's got a TV background. He doesn't have a campus background. He doesn't have deep relationships really with the presidents and the chancellors and everybody else on these campuses. But there's a lot of mad people in the Big Ten that want to see the Big Ten do something. I don't think they will do anything meaningful, but but we'll see. All right. So the fact that he has a TV background would indicate to me that he's not going to do anything because he understands how much money is at stake if you get into the playoffs. If you sanction Michigan now, you take away basically their opportunity to get in the playoffs and win the national championship. And if they then beat Ohio State, you take away any Big Ten representation in the playoffs and the national championship. Monetarily, that's insane, right? It's insane. Yeah. And, you know, the other factor there, Fox dang near runs the Big Ten, right? Yeah. He calls Fox and says, "Um, yeah, we're going to nuke Michigan. And they stroke (laughs) out. Are you kidding me? I mean, it is just like it would be so counterintuitive to the the capitalistic uh, instincts of everyone involved in from a Big Ten standpoint uh, and a broadcast standpoint. So I, yeah. it would be it would take something pretty remarkable on Petiti's behalf to to do this. How do you feel about all these gutless coaches in the Big Ten not putting their name or their face and going on the record with with what they want to do to Harbaugh? How about that? Yeah, I mean, look exactly because we know what's happened. There's and I, I applauded. Uh, uh, the the uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. The Purdue coach, new Purdue coach, uh, last night, Ryan Walters on his radio show. He did. He put his name behind it. Oh, good. He said. Okay. He said. He said, "Hey, we know it happened. We know they were in our stadium. That they were they were spying on us, basically." And and he was upset about it. I, but I applaud him. I the, the rest of them, it's all gutless, duck and cover. Yeah, sure. And. I mean, the facts are out there. Or at least the 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 information is out there about what happened. So I don't know why you have circumstantially to feel like you can't put your name on it. Yeah, circumstantially, it looks very clear that they cheated. You know, yeah. in, in the three years that the Sky Stallions was running around, they were thirty three and three overall and twenty two and one in the Big Ten. And the three previous years, they were sixteen and eight in the Big Ten and twenty one and eleven overall. You know, so come on, did Harbaugh get great overnight? Come on. He had stuff to work with. All right, I'll move on. <clears throat> uh, I've already eulogized Knight on this show, but but I will ask you this. Um, where do you rank him as a coach? How high in the in the pantheon of college basketball coaches do you put him? Uh, you know, I mean, I think he's I think he's a Mount Rushmore. If you got four on a Mount yeah. Rushmore, Wooden, Shashevsky, uh, probably, you know, Knight Dean Smith, maybe. Um I mean, I, I, I just think off the top of my head here, right. in terms of force of personality and fascination, uh, he's unparalleled in that sport. You know, I mean, it's do you just, know that? And I, I did not get along very well with him for the most part, but still, the 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 level of impact that he had as a just just by the force of of everything around him, I, I I've never covered anyone else like him. I mentioned this earlier in the show. 
If you measure, and I think it's fair to measure a college basketball coach, one measuring stick is how many of his players go on to become great pros. I think that's fair. Maybe it isn't, but I think it's fair. All the players you, all the coaches you mentioned, obviously, had that circumstance. He had one guy, Isaiah Thomas, yeah. make an NBA All-Star team. One guy. What does that tell you about the way he, you know, put a team together? It's amazing to get something out of nothing, right? Yeah. I mean, truly incredible. Think about that. Under, the 32-0 and team had a bunch of guys that, they, I mean, they had, they had pros, but, but none of them yeah. were great pros. No. Ben Buckner, Scott May, Kent Benson, Tom Abernathy, you know, I mean, his teams were, you know, I thought the ultimate, uh, you know, team collection of guys that did played the game the way Knight taught them to play it and executed the man-to-man defense, the motion offense, and just played together to to such a, an excellent level that they could beat anyone, literally anyone, in the 1970 Yeah, no, it's true. Is there anybody out there now, is there any coach under the age of 50, let's say, that you look at and you say, that guy is going to be an all-time great? Anybody out there? <laughs> Boy, under 50. Mm, no. You know, I mean, yeah. Bill Self's probably going to win more titles. He's won a couple. Uh, but he cheats. He cheats. Everybody knows he, he cheats. Well, he, he certainly did. He yeah. cheats. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, that's a tough line to draw. I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think they've, there's been a little bit of a generation gap in terms of quality coaches. And we'll see, you know, if anybody really steps up in the, the younger generation. I mean, it's one of the reasons, uh, you know, that, that, Mike Krzyzewski was successful into his 70s and, and Roy Williams into his late 60s and so on and so forth. They were just better than the guys coming up. I agree with that. I do. I agree with that. I don't, I don't, I don't see that guy out there and, and the Roy Williamses and the Jim Bayheims and the Tom Izzos tremendously accomplished, but they don't have the accomplishments they don't of Knight and Krzyzewski, you know, and Wooden. You know, they don't have that. They don't. So, all right, plug your podcast for us, Pat. Okay, College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel and Ross Dellinger. It's a Yahoo Sports platform, but you can get it everywhere. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. So, Stitcher? Check it out. The hell is yeah. Stitcher? What is that? That's is that thing. like Twitch? I don't know. It may, maybe it isn't even still a thing. I, I'm, you're asking I just learned guy, about <laughs> Twitch last week. Is Twitch still out there? I don't know what this stuff is. Thank you, Pat. Pat Forty, boys and girls. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get Carville. We think, we hope, we never know. And Jeff Ma. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is a brand new band, for us anyway, called Brother Twang. This is a song called After School Special. And Michael, um, if... Independent artists like Brother Twang, Brother Twang want to get their music played here. How do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And they play in James Carville. James had a real good week last week. His two double plays both came through. His Arizona teams, which were getting points, both won outright. I believe I'm right on this. He was 7-2, and two, so he's 35-23 and 23 at the moment. That's plus 12. You're doing very, very well. What was the fascination? How did you know about the Arizona teams? Well, we got a good team together with uh, ACL, director T-Boy Lachelet. We got computer programmers. We got a Univac computer. We got an algorithm. You know, we got all of the modern computational equipment here going for us. 
That's good. I met ACL. I met him at a dinner. He's, he's the great man. Yeah. He's, he's and, the great man. I haven't met T-Boy yet, but I don't think T-Boy is allowed uh, don't out come of the out. state. He's, Right, I, don't, don't I, don't, I don't think he's coming. Hey, T-Boy's son sometimes <laughs> calls ACL, but that's about most you don't get. You ain't going to get to T-Boy here, go to Bell River. You have, <laughs> and I think everybody will be beating the path down to Bell River as a result of that. Uh, right. you, what are your picks this week? Because you're hot. You're hot, 7-2. Right. Uh, South Kakalaki, Jacksonville State. Right. Uh, lay 15 and a half and take South Carolina. Now, you know South Carolina is terrible, but I'm assuming Jacksonville State is a D2 program. You know what? You don't get 15 and a half. You don't lay 15 and a half points if you point. All right. <laughs> you're playing Georgia, okay? That's right. That's right. Uh, what else? Arkansas is getting five and a half against Florida. Yes. Arkansas. Arkansas is not Arkansas. bad. I tell you, they're not bad. I don't know the record, but not that great. So you're not worried of a bounce back with Florida after the Georgia game? I worry about everything. Right. Okay. This is this is pick one side or the other side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, and uh, Arizona State, uh, Utah playing Utah. Is that right? Plus eleven. Plus eleven. Who are you taking? Yeah. Give me give me something from Arizona and eleven points, and I'm putting it in my satchel and running with it. I'm taking Arizona State. So Utah, I mean, for people who don't know this, they had a great quarterback, but he's been hurt. Utah has actually, they feel overrated, right, James? At the moment, they feel we, overrated. We did good. Remember last year, we had Penn State against them. Right. As, you know, a triple play, and we won the rocking chair. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, we've done good picking against Utah. You know, all good things come to an end. The, what do you got to Panther? Indy game, what do y'all see that, two and a half? I think that's two and a half, Carolina plus two and a half. All right, take, take Kakalaki. Carolina. Really? really? Okay. They were the okay. worst team in the league until one win. But okay, all well, right. Well, somebody, somebody, you know, a, a blind hog finds a trough every that's night. Right. You know, a blind squirrel <laughs> finds an acorn. What else you got? <laughs> we're going in the bad team derby. Yeah. Houston. Minus two and a half for Tampa Bay. Yeah, Tampa Bay's falling down. Houston, Houston's not bad. Houston's not terrible. Uh, well, we're going to lay the two and a half, and Tony's going to agree with us so much. Okay. What else? And then uh, the Super Steam double tap out lock of the year is the under in the Bills uh, Bengals game. Take the under. What is the number right now? Forty-nine and a half will make you laugh. Forty-nine and a half, and you're going to take the under. Uh, Are we taking let... under with, with Joe Barr and, and Josh yeah. Allen? How you wow. taking under with Joe Barr and Josh Allen? Yeah, bro. Forty-nine and a half. Okay. Um, you have your alma maters playing at Alabama. Oh, right? God. Yeah. I know you're not going to pick it, but what do you think? No. I think if Jay, early in the beginning of the year, I tell you to take Jaden Daniels for the Heisman. He was fifteen right. to one. Right. If he has a big game tomorrow night, he will be one of the. In fact, if they don't give it to Jaden Daniels, I'll tell you right now, it is a inbred prejudice against Southern State schools because there's nobody close to him on statistics. And he okay. has a big game against Alabama. He's he's, he's going to bring this puppy home. I'm telling okay. you now that one. That's the easiest thing. 
it's easy to say that. You got to go out and have a big game in Tuscaloosa. It's hard. That, hard to that, do that. That's, that's, that's hard. But yeah. We're going to try. All right. Thank you, James. James Carville, mm-hmm. boys and girls. It's always good to have James. I should say this that this week's picks with James Carville and Jeff Ma are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. So we're going to endeavor to get Jeff. Do we have Jeff? I think we're efforting him as we speak right now. Okay. James has a confidence. Nice to know yes. the computers are running at full capacity. Yeah, he's got all that going on. <laughs> no. Some nice of those to know, L- T boy is not leaving the state. No. Yeah. Some of those he's lines probably has there's probably a restraining order on T boy to leave the state. He probably don't yes. he's got some gambling restraining order. He can't go someplace else. So. You can always ask Alexa. Yeah. Uh, uh Jeff Ma is there. Good. Jeff had his best week last week. Jeff was 4-1, and 19-25 overall, but headed, headed in the right direction. A couple of questions I wanted to ask you. The first one is, and I don't have this line in front of me, uh, Mark Davis, who I don't think knows what he's doing necessarily with the Raiders, blew up his whole team, fired the coach, fired the general manager, fired, I think, the offensive coordinator, benched the quarterback, what, who are the Raiders playing? What is the effect on the line with something like that, Jeff? Have you heard the whole story of the firing and the no. uh, Halloween costume? No. no. Supposedly, uh, Josh McDaniels is a really big Halloween guy. He goes all out for Halloween, and he dressed up like, um, like Mark for uh, Halloween, uh, came in the morning, and I guess he, Mark took it with a good sport at first, and... Uh, I guess he orders from P.F. Chang's all the time, and they had P.F. Chang's lunch together. And when Josh McDaniels got his fortune cookie, he opened it up, and it said, you're fired, hotshot. <laughs> no, is that really true? That's, wow. that's the story that I read. I think it was on The Athletic that they talked about that. You should look it up. But, uh, wow. So that line opened, <laughs> that wow. line opened it, I think, Vegas minus two and a half. And then um, when the news happened of McDaniels getting fired, it dropped, and then also with Aiden O'Connell getting announced, it dropped again. I think it went all the way down to, to minus one. It's kind of settled at minus one and a half. Uh, it's not a huge move, but it's kind of interesting because I think without the quarterback change, the actual line drop would be something I would be betting against, meaning I would like Las Vegas in that spot because I don't think there's really that much of a difference at this point in the season when you, when you change um, coaches because the system's all in place and Honestly, you probably get a bump out of motivation because it, it didn't seem like people like Devontae Adams were particularly happy with McDaniels. Uh, I think the big question mark is going to be Aiden O'Connell. I think ultimately, quarterbacks, you know, rookie quarterbacks in a situation like this, you, you, you probably aren't inclined to, to back them. Although Garoppolo was playing pretty poorly and it seemed like he was, he was not healthy. So, if anything, I probably like Las Vegas here um, against the Giants, but um, it's a tough one because of just all the uncertainty. Is there are, are any of the trade deadline moves affecting the line in a particular game? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think the Chicago game um, with New Orleans minus eight and a half. I think it would have been closer to you know maybe six if um, Chicago hadn't made the trades. They did. Um, and then, you know, if you look at like Washington, um, you know, you have another situation yeah. where Washington is, is, uh, gave away two players, two good players. Gave away two players. Yeah. Minus, Montez Sweat and minus Chase three, Young. New England's minus three against them. 
Um, it got up to minus three and a half, got back to minus three. I mean, the perception is, is that Washington has given up. I mean, New England's not particularly good, although they tend to get money from the sharp betters every week um, because people really respect Belichick. But yeah, I, I think that there's, you know, you're seeing some impact there where the line would probably be under three um, if Washington hadn't made those trades. Okay. All right. Give us what you got this week. All right. Let's see. We're going to start with um, Houston minus three over Tampa Bay. Um, do you guys have that at three or two and a half? Well, I'll Carville just announced it was two and a half. Yeah, right, well, I'm going to take what Carville said. Someday Houston <laughs> minus two and a half. Okay, so you'll Carville's take Houston. Lines, especially when I'm on the same side as him. It makes up the whole line. Yeah, okay. What else? I'm going to take Baltimore minus a six over Seattle. Uh, this was five and a half earlier in the week. It's up to six. Um, I kind of thought this is the direction it was going to go, and we talked about it on Bet the Process. Um, yeah, Baltimore is quietly has the best defense in the league, and quietly they do. Lamar is having an MVP season, and um, Seattle was very, very lucky to get out of Cleveland last, last, or to get out of, uh, to get out with yeah. a win against Late Cleveland touchdown and a pass. Cover. Yeah. 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 They rushed okay. out to 17 points in the first quarter, I think, and then didn't really score again until what the last 30 seconds of the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to take Cincinnati minus the one and a half over Buffalo. This is one of those where, um, if you look at the sort of full season stats, it, it certainly, doesn't seem like this is a good bet, but the real thing here was we believe that, you know, Burroughs healthier, um, Cincinnati's healthier. They're a different team out of the spy. They played an amazing game against San Francisco last week and minus one and a half over Buffalo. I like them here. So you had, yeah. So, okay. I thought Buffalo was plus two, but I'll tell I'll give you one and a half. That's fine. And then okay. uh, Philly minus three over Dallas. I think until proven otherwise, Philadelphia is the best team uh, in the NFL right now. Probably. I mean, they're just uh, the, their ability to sort of shrink. You know, they're, they're starting every every possession first and nine versus first and ten because they have the ability on fourth and one to almost always yeah. get it, and their That's ability right. to to run the clock out in the second half and control the clock. It's you know, I haven't seen it in the NFL and. In, in a long time, and, and ultimately, while Dallas played a great game against the Rams last week, um, I, I like Philly at home, just giving three points. People say that they have the best offensive line in football, and that helps you control things. Dallas is a very weird team. They either win by 20 or lose by 20. And this is a, a very big game, I think, for Dallas. I do. I mean, they don't usually beat the good teams, so we'll see. We'll see. Okay, what else? And then I'm going to take one college game. I'm going to give you a name, Tony Musket. He's UVA's quarterback. Uh, UVA was pretty terrible most of the season until he yes. came back. And they've been really good the last two weeks. Um, UVA uh, only giving two against Georgia Tech, um, I think, is not reflective of the fact that, you know, Musket's a big upgrade at quarterback and, and UVA is not a bad team when they have a reasonable quarterback. Well, they beat North Carolina, which was very surprising. A couple of weeks ago, right? They beat North Carolina. Yeah, did they not they, beat North they were, I thought they did, yeah. They were they were right in the game last week with Miami also. They were they okay. lost at the end and, and were right in that game. So I, okay. I, I think they'll beat Georgia Tech here pretty easily. All right, who's on Bet the Process this week? We we actually did a mailbag episode, which means we talk about uh, different things that people ask us about. We talk about things like the effect of the weather on totals um, in the NFL. I mean, what do you think, um, Tony, the biggest impact on Scoring is from a weather perspective um, in football. 
I would I would not think snow. I would think rain. I would think rain. No, makes... it's, it's actually wind. Wind. The wind oh, okay. is the, by far the biggest impact. Same snow with golf. Actually, yeah. we, we talked a little bit about how snow um, can actually increase scoring because it tends to um, create more big plays. Um, rain doesn't have as huge an impact as you would think, and wind is really the biggest impact. So makes sense now um, that you say it. Yeah, okay. so we talk about things like that, and we talk about machine learning and, and sports betting and, and whatnot. So we get into some sort of the deep, nerdy talk. Love it. Thank you, Jeff. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Tony. Bye. This week's picks with James Carville and Jeff Ma have been brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. We will take a break. We will have email and jingle when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Thanks to Bruce Griffin for that. Love listening to that. Michael, you did Bethesda Bagels today. Yes, I crossed state lines to go to the Bethesda Ave location. Uh, yeah. You can go online to find the nearest one to you. Another you big have catering to day. Papers though, did you? When you I did not. State lines. I didn't even have to present ID at the store. <laughs> well, I was number five, just opened, and they brought the bagels to me. Now that's, that's customer service. They have great customer service. Before we uh, get to the mailbag, let me just say, as I write this letter, send my love to you. Remember that I'll always be in love with you. Treasure these few words till we're together. Keep all my love forever. P.S. I love you. That's the Beatles who have apparently released or in the process of releasing one last song that was remixed. I, I don't know how it works. I haven't listened to it. I'm Is this the to AI listen. song? Uh, yeah. I'm afraid to listen to the Beatles song because I don't know if it'll sound like the Beatles. Thanks to our guests today, Pat Forty, James Carville, Jeff Ma. Thanks to our sponsors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. All right, from Doug Mell. During the 1975-1976 basketball season, I was a lowly student employee of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Sports Information Department. One of my jobs was to escort the opposing basketball coach from the locker room to the media room in the old Wisconsin Fieldhouse. Most of the time it went fine, especially if the opposing team had beaten the Badgers, but you never knew with coaches. So there was more than a little trepidation when I knocked on the door of the Indiana Hoosiers locker room on February 26, 1976, after the Hoosiers had dispatched the Badgers by nearly 30 points on their way to a perfect season. I had parenthetically the last one. I remember little about the encounter with Coach Knight, which means I didn't suffer an outburst from the general. I do remember walking with Coach Knight while he discussed the game and the upcoming news conference with an assistant coach and him thanking me when we arrived at the media room. I will remember watching that team and its prowess on the court, especially forward Scott May, who went off for 41 points that cold February night in Madison. Bobby Knight had many faults as a person, but at least for a short time in 1976, he made life bearable for a budding young journalist at UW-Madison. Doug Mell, very nice. Thank you very much for that. Um, 
Tadzio, you want me to read the thing about? No, no, no. no, no. That was, okay, that was, we're going to thank Shout Tadzio. out to Tadzio, though. I'll say hi at another time. Okay. Uh, from Ben Hartheimer, Washington, D.C., Chuck and Roxy episode 186. Thought you might appreciate a local Chevy Chase DC Halloween traffic report. <coughs> My parents' house, located on Rittenhouse Street, received well <laughs> over a thousand trick-or-treaters this year. What? We, we, handed, cross, cross we handed out our signature full-size candy bars and ran out by 8 p.m. For those watching on News Channel 8, I have enclosed a, included a photo of the candy and a 20-second time-lapse video showing the non-stop stream of kids from Oof. about 5.30 to 8 p.m. Lachiserie Ben Cliffy Hartheimer. All right, he must have been a Cliffy on the show. Ask Michael to show you the video on his phone. It's absolutely astonishing to Sean's watch. Sean's a full-size candy house. Hmm? Sean Cherry. Yep. Sean, you do full-size candy? Full-size. 112 this bites. year. Not, we not. have the tiny little bites. That's why nobody comes, which is good. Uh, I have a picture here. Uh, Ronnie Newmeyer sent this. One day while working at my father's pizza restaurant, Armand Pizza, in the Tenley Circle in the 90s, I was stunned to see one of my teenage baseball heroes walk in, the great slugger Frank Howard. Howard was working for a liquor company after he retired, and he was there to pitch a product. I ran upstairs to tell my dad that Frank Howard was in the restaurant. Lou and I both ran downstairs excited to see him. Lou walked up to Frank, stuck out his hand, and seeing Frank's six-foot-seven-inch frame, said, My God, look at that strike zone. Honda, without missing a beat, shot back 1,460 times. They both laughed like loons. Despite being one of the best power hitters in the game, Frank knew exactly how many times he'd struck out and had no problem poking fun in itself. See in the painted seats, Honda. Very, very lovely. Uh, Stuart Cunningham, are we still doing the odometer game? I'm coming up on 100K soon. I wanted to know, should I have the camera ready? If you're still taking snack down entries, I'm going with black raspberry ice cream for the win. <laughs> Don Hammock, Biloxi, Mississippi. I had to laugh when you complained about Carville's picks of obscure games, then mentioned Troy. I know a guy who can help. I get Twitter notifications about Troy generated by fellow little Craig Stevenson, who covers the Trojans for Alabama.com, formerly the Mobile press register. I know there's no way in heck you're going to use social media to get those scores, but I have Craig's cell phone in case you want to give him a call in the future. From Ryan Lauer in Providence, Rhode Island. On a cold fall day in New England, I had a four-year-old homesick. As Michael can attest, screen time rules go out the window when the survival is the, is the goal of the day. While trying to get some work done in an adjacent room, the soothing sounds of Dan Byrne filled my ears. The genius Jingle Riders theme song for the tolerable kids show Stinky and Dirty was my David Aldrich moment. I tried explaining to a congested four-year-old that Daddy likes this guy and has a Victor Wembanyama song by the same singer stuck in his head on a weekly basis. Blank stares. Anyway, I'm thankful for the connective tissue of the show and bringing light to a day that was feeling pretty bleak. Some apple juice and Dan Byrne, and the kid is on the men. Derek from Everett, Washington. Tony had me rethinking my whole childhood when he stated that Butterfinger is not a chocolate-based candy. What did you think it was covered with? Dairy dessert? Yeah, I, I made a mistake on that. I mean, it's mostly... This peanut butter crunch, and I forgot that it was, in fact, covered with chocolate. So that's my error. I apologize for that. Bill Isaacson writes, I am chagrined to have learned more information about muskrat love. As you may not know, Chuck of Chuck and Roxy is a professional drummer. I didn't know that. I thought he would, had to do with set designs. Um, he has now reported that in an otherwise distinguished career, he did some drumming for the Captain Tennille and worse, that included performances of muskrat love. I have no idea how he explained that part of his background to Roxy and how she still married him. In less serious news, I can report that the captain and Tennille chose to perform muskrat love at a 1976 White House dinner for Queen Elizabeth. The press subsequently reported that a guest stated it was in very poor taste to sing of mating muskrats before the <laughs> queen. Um, Steve the Sycophant, our friend in Herndon, writes... Michael's mention of the hammer dressing as a T-Rex this Halloween 
brought back memories from way back when my younger and youngest sons, then four and six, were clothed in T-Rex costumes handmade by their maternal grandmother. The boys were perturbed, however, by their tails dragging on the ground since they knew from watching movies and cartoons that real T-Rex's tails waved in the air. To resolve this, they kept in the air, they kept their tails in the air by adopting a very low crouch. As they approached front doors to get goodies, they addressed their trick-or-treats straight down at the ground rather than towards the candy givers. This resulted in much hilarity and a huge bonanza of sweets. One of the great sorrows of my life is I have neither ancient video nor photos of them in full costume crouched way over and Do you remember when Mom made me a homemade Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle costume? How was it? Uh, so my, my only memory is I tried it on, tried to spin on the shell, couldn't do it because it was handmade, and just looked at Mom with just utter disgust. Now yeah, there you go. Still feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> From Jerry Black, and I was in the Olympics. From Jerry Black in Tokyo. The year was 1992. Here in Tokyo, our son had an MRI today. Fortunately, he has good medical insurance. Spoiler alert, it's not Cigna. Please see the attached Japanese medical receipt. I don't expect you to be able to read it, but trust me. Total cost, 8,330 yen. That's 55 U.S. dollars. As a side note, the copay is 30%. So even if you had no insurance, the total MRI cost would about a, be about $183 in American money. A far cry from the U.S. quotes of 1,500 to 3,500 that I've heard on the pod. Eat it, Cigna. Yeah, a far cry from that. Sam Davidson, Simsbury, Connecticut, right near Bristol. Tony, my wife and I were married in June 1974, so we we're approaching our 50th anniversary. One of the things I remember about the music at the wedding was we told the band that we would not pay them if they played the popular song, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Down the Old Oak Tree by Tony Orlando and Dawn. At one point, I heard the intro to that song and my eyes shot daggers directly at the band leader. I gave him the slit throat signal. He deftly segued into a completely different song and everyone was happy. It was such an awful song that it was on our do not play list of one. Tie a Yellow Ribbon. I remember that song well. Joe in Lafayette, Louisiana, which I believe is the hometown of Ron Guidry. Love the PTI Halloween costumes as always. Only thing that made, a, made the bit even more humorous would have been if during, on a return from the break, you were about to eat a candy bar of your choice or maybe a cheeseburger to max with your hardball getup, when suddenly through the magic of television, it evaporates from your hands and appears in Wilbon's. You then ask him, hey, how did you do that? To which Wilbon, as Coach Prime, replies, the transfer portal, baby. It's a good email. <laughs> from John Fitzpatrick. Not that John Fitzpatrick. Another John Fitzpatrick, I assume, in Belmont, North Carolina, because ours, I believe, is in Colorado. Butterfinger candy is not chocolate-based? While this loyal little would never be so bold as to correct Mr. Tony, I can just hear the emails piling up. Yeah, that's too. Bill Pitcher, our organist friend from Quarryville, Pennsylvania, my first job out of college, and I mean when I dropped out of college, was as a sports reporter and columnist from my hometown newspaper in upstate New York. Fast forward 25 years, I'm visiting a bakery back home when a woman stopped to ask if I was Bill Pitcher. She said, you've been on my parents' living room, uh, I guess, wall this whole time. The column I wrote about her three sport abilities still hangs today, complete with my column logo and mugshot. They never forget what you write about them in the newspaper, apparently what you look like. This is 100% true. People save the stuff. They put it in frames, as we all do, different things. But stories written in a newspaper about them, everybody saves them. Uh, and from George Scoopus um, in the mountains of Whistler, British Columbia in Canada. Love the show. Thought I'd send some of my band's original music. We are Brother Twang. You can find our shows in all the usual places. Oh, well, we did this already. I, so, yeah. That's when I didn't know who Brother Twang was. Now I know who Brother Twang was. <laughs> They're from the mountains in Whistler, British Columbia. So forgive that error earlier in the show. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. And uh, tell me, you brought three of your friends. Could you please introduce Yes, there's George Palasol, <laughs> Ringo Stone, and Paul McCharmley.
They came to me 